please turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. To every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Well, friends, we're looking at these uh, verses uh, as we continue our study in uh, the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look today at gifts for all believers. Gifts for all believers, none excluded. Every believer has uh, a gift uh, from Christ. Everyone has at least one and, and are often more uh, than one. But uh, we'll come to that in just a minute. But here we remind ourselves that Paul is now in the practical part of his uh, writing of this letter and he is exhorting them uh, to walk worthy of their high calling. They've been called by God, been called out of the world, called to be Christians, called to be his representatives. And it's not only what they need to know is right, it's how are they going to walk? How are they going to walk in the church? How are they going to walk in the home? How are they going to walk in the, in the world? And here Paul is not only exhorting them to walk in a worthy way, he's even shown to them in a very clear way. This is how you should do it. This is how you should conduct yourselves in these three different areas. And so he's giving us very practical uh, advice. Advice not only, of course, for the Ephesian church and believers there, but for you and for me and for believers uh, for all time. So that's uh, what we're looking at. And last week, we looked at this uh, unity of the Spirit that the Lord brings about. As we said, not a man-made unity, not man trying to come together, but a unity that begins uh, with conversion. It's a unity of the Spirit. How are we united together? Well, the first, it's not something I can do. I'm going to get together with, with this group of people and unite myself to them and we'll try and live in the best way. That's not biblical unity, how it starts. It's a good idea. It's a good thought, nice thought. But the thing is, un, un, real unity of the Spirit begins with conversion. And the person comes to know Christ and has faith in Jesus Christ and gives their heart and their life to Christ and say, no more sin, no more of the world. I'm, I leave that behind. I've been a rebel uh, all my life. And now I'm going to come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him for forgiveness. And the person goes through that conversion experience. Uh, pardon me saying, it's not our topic, but have you had that conversion experience? See, being a Christian, friends, is not just uh, adopting the name of Christian or going to church, but it's knowing a real change, a transforming change in a person's life. Many people say, when you ask them, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. How long have you been a Christian? All my life. But it doesn't work like that, actually, because no one is a Christian all their life. There must be a certain point. Maybe you cannot point exactly to the date and the time when it happened, but you can say, well, I know at a certain period in my life, I came to know the Lord Jesus. I realized I was a sinner, and I turned, and I cried to him to forgive me and change me, and he did. And 
That's, uh, that's what we need, friends, a conversion experience. So that's the beginning of unity, uh, where the, we are joined uh, to, to Christ by faith, but also the unity of the Spirit is He joins us to one another, as we looked at uh, last week. And uh, we won't go over it, but the things that unite us, as we looked at very briefly, are those uh, seven things. Is you'll find these things in every believer, in every true believer. Just, just the other day, in fact, yesterday I was talking to somebody, and uh, he, was, he was saying that he, well, he knew his scriptures very, very well. He knew the Bible, and he could quote from Timothy, and he, could, he knew Genesis, not in a vague way, but in a, quite a detailed way. He could say, point things out to me. And you talk to him, and you think, well, he's, he seems like a Christian. But as you went on talking to him, well, he started saying other things. He started saying that he, uh, Jesus, uh, he doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. He doesn't even believe in the existence of the Holy Spirit. And yet, put his own interpretation on these things. He even end up saying that Jesus and, and Satan are full brothers. Terrible doctrine. And it's not, not biblical at all. And immediately, you know, I have no unity with this man. I have, he may say, use Bible verses and Bible terms, but his doctrine is not biblical, it's not scriptural. I cannot pray with him. I cannot worship together with him. We are different. So you see, the, the things, these things uh, help us even uh, to know those uh, who are his and uh, those uh, who are not. So we looked as well how we should do our best, we should strive to keep the unity of the Spirit by walking in lowliness and meekness. But this time, uh, we're looking at, uh, t Paul is taking it a little bit further. Verse 7 says, it's taking us on from that unity to say, even though we are united as uh, believers, there is also diversity in that unity. And he's going to talk about the gifts that God gives to every believer. Everyone doesn't have the same gift. Everyone is, uh, uh, has a different gift. And or, as we said, some may have more than one. So this is a very important uh, topic as well, the, of how things should happen uh, in the church. The place of gifts he's going to talk about, not in a very detailed way, in a general way, but the purpose for those gifts, who has the gifts, why are they given? Well, these are some of the things that he'll, he's going to talk of, and he's especially going to mention the teaching uh, ministry uh, of the church. And so every uh, every member of the church here, he says, every one of us uh, is given a gift. This is the way, when we look at the passage as a whole, this is what he's saying, growth in the church happens as every member of the church, every believer in the church is exercising those gifts. This is how growth uh, takes place. Now, there's a lot of talk today in the churches about church growth. And if you go to a Christian bookshop, well, you can find a number of books, how to grow your church, how to increase the numbers who are coming to the church. Well, we want to see more people come in. Yes, we want to see the work of God here flourishing. We want to see every pew filled as well. But that's not the only thing that should concern us. What also should concern us and what Paul is really getting at here is that each believer must also be growing. Each believer must also be maturing in their walk with the Lord. Each, each believer must be advancing to become more like the Savior as time goes on. 
And as uh, within the context of the local church, this is, the, this is a great help to us. Not only the ministry of the word, which is vital and important, but everyone contributing, everyone doing their part. That contributes to the church, uh, uh, believers are growing and increasing towards that spiritual uh, maturity. So this is uh, what Paul uh, has in mind. Not, uh, not uh, just remaining as uh, children, uh, but leaving those, just like a child, as, when it, as it grows older and it goes and becomes a teenager and then an adult, well, it begins to leave those childish things behind. It begins to leave those childish toys that it used to play with behind. Now it, it's mature. It's started to think for itself, to be more independent. And in the same way, uh, we must, uh, as believers, move on and progress in our walk uh, with the Lord as we uh, get to know him better. So let's just look uh, at these verses. Verse 7 again. But unto every one of us is uh, given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Everyone, friends, has been given a gift. That's the point here Paul uh, is making. None are excluded. Paul was given the grace of being an apostle. He was given this gift of grace of being an apostle of, to the Gentiles. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 7 and 8, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And to me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul didn't make himself a minister. It was Christ who chose him and Christ who gave him this gift and the ability uh, to be an apostle, to be a preacher, to be a pastor. And a number of gifts were given uh, to him. He says, it was, he, he repeats, it's, it's grace uh, given uh, to me. So when, we, when, Paul, uh, when Paul here in verse 7 is saying, talking about the, uh, everyone is given grace, he's referring especially uh, to the gift of grace. Of course, we've all, every believer has received the grace of salvation. That's primary. But here he's thinking more about uh, the, the gifting, the free gift that uh, comes from God. Paul hadn't earned it. Paul hadn't merited such a calling. That's what he's saying. It's been given to him for the church, for the benefit of the church. And not every one of us is called to be a preacher or a pastor. Uh, but every one of us has some gift. For some, you may be able, you may be called to be a pastor, or you may be, have the gift, ability to teach in the Sunday school. You can bring things down to a level that the children can understand and follow. That's a great gift to have. It's hard to do, to do that, to put things in a simple way. Maybe you have the gift of helpfulness, and you're able to come alongside other and others and offer help uh, to them in some way, or concern for the elderly. You, you feel especially for them, there's this deeper concern in your heart for them, or for the young it may be, as well. Or maybe you're good at uh, administration in the church, or uh, administration generally, and you can use that gifting as well uh, for the Lord. Some people are very good at encouraging others, at the Barnabases in the church, and they're able to get alongside others and and uh, uh, give them a word which will lift uh, those who are downcast. 
Some are very good with practical things. So there are a variety of gifts that are given uh, to, uh, uh, to the church, but spread abroad. Even the minister doesn't have all the gifts. He may not even have most of the gifts. He may only have just one or two gifts. And somebody else in the congregation may have a lot more than he has. This is not uncommon. This is quite often the case. But the point here, friends, is that these gifts are given by Christ as he chooses and in the measure that he chooses for the benefit of others. Oh, remember that. Gifts are never given just for me to indulge in, just for me to appreciate, just for me to have in my relationship with God, for me to keep to myself. Gifts are always given so that you can be a blessing to other people, so that you can use it in the church where you are especially, not for ourselves. And that means, that means we are dependent on each other. That means I need you, you need me. We need each other because all these gifts coming together uh, are a help to one another. As we read in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Neither can the head to the feet say, I have no need of you. We all need each other. Each, each member, each believer is important. So a body, the physical body, of course, as Paul uses, is a great example of uh, this unity and yet diversity. In the body as well, you see, I, I'm sure you know, every part, every single part of the body has a function. Every part of the body has something uh, to do, some way in which it contributes to the health and the well-being of the body. There is no part in our bodies which are inoperative and idle. People say, or used to say, the appendix is unnecessary. It's a part of you you don't need. You can do away with it. Now they're changing their minds. Now they're saying, no, it's it actually does have a function. It does have a part, and it's they say it's a haven for the the healthy kinds of gut bacteria that are created by the body. So there is, after all, a place for the appendix. But uh, every part of that body is necessary. If one part stops functioning, well, then that's going to affect the body in some way small way or a big way, but it'll affect it. Same, you could think of the illustration of a, a hospital. If you work in a hospital, or everyone knows hospital, there are so many different people. There are not only doctors and nurses, there are surgeons of all different kinds, there are porters, uh, there are uh, administrative work workers. There are so many different people who are all working together, all contributing to make sure that the hospital is run and can function properly. Everyone is employed to do their part. Never, the hospital never pays somebody to just sit still and do nothing. Everyone has to do something. So that's the illustration uh, that uh, is in mind. That's what Paul is getting at here in these verses. So friends, even for us in the local church, God has designed it in a similar way, that each one of us, every member is contributing. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone is uh, important. This is what we call the working church. This is what the, the concept of the working church, that it's not just a few who are doing the work and other people just come to the church and, and sit and worship and then go home. But the working church, friends, is that everyone is doing their part. If they can, if, they, if they're able and up to it, 
you know, they must be thinking, well, how can I make my, my contribution uh, to the church? This is what's missing, sadly, in so many uh, churches. But you look at verse uh, 16, and verse 16 has the same idea. Paul says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, that's from Christ, the whole body is united and compacted by that which every joint supplied. Compacted, there's a knit together, the unity with one another, by that which, which every joint supplied. Every part is uh, giving something out. And then again, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The effectual working, everyone working diligently and doing what they can uh, to contribute uh, to the work and the progress of the church. And increase comes about as believers do that. If one believer says, well, I'm going to keep my distance, I'm happy as I am, I just attend the church, well, friends, that person really is saying, I'll keep the gift that Christ has given me to myself. I'll keep it uh, for myself, and uh, that's going to affect your local church, wherever you are. That's going to affect it in some way. So we must be those who are diligent to use those gifts. But verse 8, I really must move on. Verse 8, this is the ascension of Christ. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. This is referring to Psalm 68, which we read. And that, the prophecy there, and you can read this in Psalm 68, verse 16. And here Paul is saying, Christ is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Christ is the one who ascended uh, up on high and led captivity captive and gave uh, gifts uh, to men. He came into this world. He suffered and died on the cross. He rose after three days. He was seen after his resurrection for 40 days, seen many, many times by his disciples. And then after 40 days, he ascended uh, up uh, to heaven and was received in a mighty way. We looked at that not so long ago. But here, just this, this phrase, he led captivity captive. What does it mean? What's it referring to? Well, the, the picture here is that of a prince or a, an army general. And in the old times, when after a great victory, well, they would march back into their, or ride back in their chariots, back into the, the capital city probably, and the crowds would, would be uh, adoring, the adulation would come, uh, uh, all, the, all the crowds greeting them, and uh, behind behind the chariot or chained to the chariot would be all the captives that that general had taken as a result of his victory. They would be in his trail, in his wake. And the thought here is that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returned to heaven, triumphant, uh, victorious, he led captivity captive, being all those who once were rebels against him. Paul, Peter, James, you and me, if we are believers, we are now in that, we are now in that trail. We are now those who have been taken captive by him. Before we were rebels, but now uh, he has uh, won our hearts 
now we are willingly uh, his uh, captives. And he gave to each one of those people gifts uh, f- uh, for the church. Here it's going to be especially focused on the teaching ministries, but to everyone is given a gift. And then verses 9 and 10, uh, in, it's in brackets, and you may think, well, what's this, what's this doing here? But I think there is some connection, there is some relation. But now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Christ descended. We know, we know that he walked uh, on this earth. We know he came uh, from heaven. Uh, that was a dissension for him to come from heaven. He said, I am from above, ye are from beneath. It was a stoop to him to leave heaven and its glory and to come and live amongst us. That's his dissension. So he not only, and after that, uh, he ascended. But the question people often ask here is how far did Christ descend? How far? It says here he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, some people say that he descended into, into hell, that he went as far as hell. And uh, that cannot be right, friends. That cannot be right. Because uh, the, the Bible teaches us that Christ suffered the hell that we deserve on the cross. That was the hell that he suffered. That's as far as he went in terms of hell, not into hell itself and the place of torment and suffering. Then what does this phrase mean, the, the lower parts of the earth? It's not the easiest to, to, uh, verse to grasp, but perhaps it's along these, these lines. There's a contrast going on here between heaven and earth. There's a contrast to, to show us uh, that uh, the Lord uh, as, as descended uh, into this lower part of the, of the earth and now he is ascended into the highest parts, verse 10, of heaven, ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So he came down, but now contrast with him where he is now, he is ascended to the Father's right, right hand. But why? This very same, the, the thought I think here is the very same Jesus who descended and came and obtained redemption for his people is the very same Jesus who ascended. Has he forgotten us now? Has he stopped caring for us now? No. It's still the same Jesus. Just like he cared for his disciples when he was on earth, he still now cares and shows that concern for his church and for the well-being of his church, even in heaven. And that's why he's given us these gifts, so that we can carry out the work that he has given us to do. That's why he equips us. And then verse 11, we move on to that. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some prophets and teachers. He enumerates some of the gifts that are given and uh, focuses here especially on the teaching ministries. That these are the ones, the, 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 the preaching and the teaching of the word. This is so important, friends. This is what must be prominent in the church, the preaching and teaching of the word. This is not, not, this is not happening in some places, but this is so essential 
for vital uh, church growth and blessing. Some relegate the preaching of the word to a short talk of 20 minutes or so uh, at the end of the service. Some, some places you go to, and well, they, they spend an hour or more maybe singing and doing other things before they come to the actual uh, ministry. So by the time they come to the ministry of the word, people are tired. People are mentally cannot take everything in and they're longing maybe for the sermon to be over. It's hard enough after half an hour sometimes. But uh, to, to go on uh, singing, we believe in singing, but to go on too, too long in singing sometimes indisposes people for the preaching of the word, the ready acceptance of that. So that must be central, friends. And that's also included here why, why these particular ministries are mentioned. But don't get it wrong. It's not the people who are the gifts. It's not the person who is the gift. It's these ministries which are the gift, not the men itself. Pastors, preachers, who are we, friends? Paul said we are nothing. Who are we? Well, we are, we, we should, we are just uh, those who are carrying out what the Lord wants us to do, just like every believer does the same. Preachers should not be made celebrities of. No one, no one should exalt a preacher and say, oh, how wonderful and great he is and glory uh, be given to him. But then let's look very briefly at these, and we've touched on these before, but these different ministries, he gave some apostles, apostles, as we know, those who have seen the risen Christ personally called by him and inspired by God to give us uh, his word and some prophets those who received a message from God in the early church before they had the full scriptures in their hands like we do, well, the, the Lord gave them words uh, to, to these prophets and they would declare it to the church. But since the, we have the full canon of scripture, we don't need prophets anymore. We don't need people to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. These two ministries, offices of apostles and prophets, well, friends, we've said it before, but they're not for today. They're not uh, for our, our day. Uh, you could think of it in this way. The, we, when we looked uh, at the previous chapter, in, in, I think it was chapter 2, where we talked about the apostles laying the foundation for the church. Well, that was the teaching and the doctrine which God uh, gave to them and they gave to the church, how the church should be and run and so on. But that was part of the foundation. And when you look at a house or you look at a building, you never see the foundation. The foundation is out of sight. You only see the superstructure. And it's the same, you could say, with the apostles and uh, with, the, with the prophets. They, they've done their work. It's out of sight now. Now what you see is what goes up, is the work of teaching, the work of the pastors and teachers. And then also we have uh, here some evangelists probably tra traveling missionaries, uh, those who went from place to place uh, preaching the gospel and planting uh, churches, uh, men like Philip and uh, Timothy and Titus, and then uh, the last group, some pastors and teachers. Now, there are some who split this into two, uh, but I just take it as one particular group, pastors and teachers, uh, uh, teach teaching uh, elders. A uh, pastor is somebody who's an overseer, somebody who has the oversight of the church, who's uh, called to lead it, 
somebody who watches over the flock, uh, an under-shepherd for Christ, and uh, one who uh, has that role and the teaching role uh, combined, a teaching uh, elder. Such are given to the church. Such we still have uh, today uh, in, in the local uh, church. So why are these ministries given? Why did Christ give these particular things? Verse 12 tells us, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, if you follow our authorized King James Version, it would, you would understand it possibly something like this. Why did God give these ministries? Firstly, reason one, for the perfecting of the saints, for equipping the saints, for helping them, for furnishing them, for completing them, for helping them to advance. That's number one. Number two, for the work of the ministry. God gave these offices so that the work of the ministry may continue. Uh, the preaching ministry, the teaching ministries. But that's probably not the right way uh, to look at it. The whole context of what Paul is talking about here is gifts given to members to, for use within the church, for the growth of the church. And so let's drop that first comma, if you've got an AV. Drop that first comma and read it like this. Why are these teaching ministries given? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. In fact, you can drop the the as well. There's no the in the Greek. For the perfecting of the work of ministry. And the thought there is, becomes clearer. And uh, it fits in with the context. That the teaching ministries are given to help and to equip the members so that they can carry out their roles. So that they can carry out their tasks and exercise their gifts. That's what it's, that's what it's there for. And uh, this is the, the connection. So that they can, be, uh, uh, make, they can make their contribution for the edifying of the church. And the church is built up. So the focus is more uh, on that. Helping the believers uh, to be better equipped to carry out their ministry rather than uh, the, the first two reasons as we looked at. But then why are all these, and I really I think I have to uh, come to a close as the time uh, is gone, but uh, the, look here again in verse 13. The entire church, friends, uh, should be engaged in spiritual labor. I hope you can see this. This is not just me speaking. This is not just my wish uh, for the church. This is what the Word of God uh, is, is teaching us, uh, that each one of us uh, should be engaged in the spiritual labor of the church. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the spirit of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I can only say a little bit here, but we are all friends. We, are, we, all, we should all be progressing uh, towards uh, that spiritual maturity. That perfect man who speaks of Christ, who is the perfect man. Uh, we should all be advancing to be more like him. A, full, a perfect man is a full-grown man. He's no longer a child. He's no longer an infant. He's now a man. He's, he's mature. And it's an ongoing process, this 
maturing till we all come uh, to this um, unity of the faith and of the Son, of, of the knowledge of the Son of God. And we're, so we're not standing still, but we're not re remaining as uh, spiritual infants, but are ever making progress towards this, our goal. And then one more verse, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Well, another reason why we must be advancing is because if we remain in a spiritual infancy state, we may be tricked, we may be turned aside, we may be deceived by the evil one or by men who are out to trick us. Now, I told you about that man earlier who I met, and when he said those things that he said, well, you know, I knew immediately that he was not a true uh, believer in that sense. But uh, sometimes people are not so straightforward. Sometimes you have to be very, they come at you in a very crafty and clever way. And they, they will use the same lingo, they will use the same language, but they have a different meaning. And they will try and trick you. And so we have even some of the, the cults which are out there. And they will, they will come and use biblical language and they say they use the Bible, but when you get to know them better, they actually uh, take you down the wrong path. And they have, they, they, often they reject the deity of Christ or something or, or other. But you have to be very careful. If we are just spiritual infants, we may be easily taken in. If you met that man I was talking to yesterday, well, he's, he, you might think, well, he's using all the scriptures. He, he must be a believer. He must be of God. Maybe I should listen to him. Maybe there's something in what he's saying. But if you know your doctrine, then you won't be so easily swayed uh, by uh, these false things that come our way. And there are an abundance of them, friends. We have to be careful. We dare not walk as children going through this world because there are so many things out there that are out to trap you and take you away from the, your Savior and take you down the wrong path. We need to grow. We need to mature. We need to understand uh, things better. And uh, this is uh, what uh, is in mind uh, here. So friends, uh, we need one another. Each one of us has a gift of grace. Remember, it's not for you, for your own benefit, for the church. Well, friends, what is that gift or gifts that you've been given? How will you use it for the Lord and for his glory? Think on these things. Well, let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 467. Oh, thou who camest from above, 467.